I'm Kurt Bloom, a podcaster and property investor, and this is the Say Yes podcast, where I will talk with people who said yes to a change, to a new beginning. Are you one of them? Hello and welcome, everybody. Today, I connect with a guest who lives more than 10,000 miles away. He is a very adventurous person, originally from Switzerland. He lives and works in Borneo, Malaysia. Ten years ago, together with his brother, he traveled on a bike from Switzerland to South Africa, a distance of around 23,000 kilometers and crossing 21 countries. What a strange idea. But their intention was to collect donations and contribute them towards humanitarian and conservation projects. So they created a non-profit foundation and website, Brothers Cycling. Additionally, they were able to create job opportunities and support ongoing activities for conservation projects around the world. And yeah, that's it. Welcome, Simon Veren. What a crazy person. <laughs> Thank you, Kurt. Thank you for inviting me here to your podcast yeah welcome thanks uh, you're so far away you have evening and we have here uh, in the uk we have the morning uh, how was your day and what are you doing right now yeah, quite busy i have been this morning on the chili farm to check out the chili farm but we uh, trying to start an organic farm uh, from there we like to produce uh, our home cooked food as well we like to uh, produce a chili paste uh, for sale, for sale also in Switzerland, hopefully. Uh, so it's quite exciting to see the, the we started to make, today, made it ready. Uh, now we need to find out how we have to do it, that everything is uh, going to be organic. So yeah, it was quite interesting. What does it mean organic in uh, Malaysia? As we try to do the same, what's the standard actually uh, in, in Europe or Switzerland, uh, of course, to no pesticide, mm -hmm. uh, no, no aggressive poison uh, chemicals. Yeah. Um, I mean, I just realized here when you go on the market and you see all this chili and it looks quite fresh, but I, I just learned that the use for chili is quite difficult to grow. It's not so easy. So they have lots of uh, fungi, uh, fungi, other diseases, um, but you need all these kind of chemicals and they use it a lot. And uh, and I realized that actually in, here in Lahatatu, where we're staying, there is no, no market. So you cannot, you cannot really buy um, the organic chili. So you get all the chili with all the fungicides and, and the pesticides and all, all, whatever they can use, they do. Mm -hmm. um, and then we try to do our food, what we're cooking here uh, in our place. And this is, we start, as I mean, we did that before for the tourists and then the tourists came and the tourists stopped coming since about March last year. Mm -hmm. uh, 
of course, the, as everybody knows, COVID came, the border closed, and never opened ever since. And I don't know when they're gonna open here anyway. But um, before we cooked for the for the tourists, uh, some local food. My wife Itisha is a fabulous uh, chef, uh, and she loves cooking. Uh, so she she did this, and then when the corona came, we had actually suddenly no more business. I mean, everything mm. what we built it on over all these years just yeah. was gone. No more customers. Uh, the locals, we can be a little bit. Some of them. Uh, problem was that uh, we had. Uh, we had shut downs, then it opens a little bit, and we got maybe some bookings, then it shut down again. So nothing what you could rely on. And then uh, Tisha wanted to, uh, to 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 make delivery service, so we started deliver uh, food to the local uh, people here. And for me, it was important that we could connect it to the to the project we have in Bukit Piton to our uh, reforestation uh, orangutan project and it needed to be a little bit sustainable so means we, we tried to avoid all kind of plastic and, and we're trying to to use uh, a packing material uh, um, like banana leaves or also we have uh, one laksa chohor, this comes with a fish sauce, with a very tasty mm -hmm. fish sauce. Uh, this is with noodles and different vegetables. And this fish sauce, I thought, oh, how can we put this fish sauce and how could we serve it to the customers? So no, went to the market and we bought some coconuts, the brown old coconut shells. So we made, we made little balls out of these coconut shells and we served this sauce in the coconut shell covered by a, a banana leaf um, and yeah it was quite interesting I mean it's definitely not the cheapest way to, to make packaging I mean <laughs> we have somebody who works on the coconut so it's real work until this thing is done to use uh, then we need to look for the hygiene so we need to boil uh, the coconut to to kill all these things, make it nice, um, and all in all, it's quite expensive to produce. But for me, it was important that we could set an, uh, a sample here. I mean, here we are a little bit far from everything, from the big cities. We are far off, and people didn't realize that they're living in a in a in a, in a place who is. Uh, it's a beautiful place, but the plastic is amazing. I mean, they use plastic for everything. Everywhere you get the plastic bag, and it's all covered in plastic, and 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 and. And the disposal is, yeah, mostly they just throw it next. Uh, if if they throw it in the garbage bin, it's great. If they throw it out in the street, it's it's the same. For me, it was important to set a little bit the landmark. So, okay, we're trying to do something sustainable. Our packaging, they actually can throw out mm -hmm. if they want, uh, if they really want. But the thing is that everybody keeps the coconut shell for themselves. So they like to buy our laxator and keep the coconut shell and use it at home for 
decoration or something like that. So, and then the connection to the Puki Piton it was given that we give each uh, cells we have, we, we, we donate uh, one ringgit. I mean, one meal costs 15 ringgit. This is about maybe four francs. And then one ringgit from this 15 ringgit goes to Puki Piton. So we're trying to support the, the Puki Piton uh, project. I mean, this came up after COVID. Uh, and for me, and the COVID in last March, April, I mean, we invested so much time in, in, in Puki Piton and so much energy and money as well with all the donors and uh, members to, to, to replant all this area. Uh, and then in my, the problem was that from these, we, we supported from the bike and tours company, we supported the Puki Piton uh, project a lot. Means if we didn't have enough money from the donors and, 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 and members, so bike and tours covered up. But suddenly this, this income was gone, there's zero. Mm. Then I was a little bit panicking. I said, oh, what, what are we going to do? I mean, to give up all these, all these years we worked there to, to just let it go, let it die, it cannot be. It's very sad. Um, and then we're trying to, we tried to find a solution. So it means uh, we went on the net, we tried crowdfunding, we tried to, to speak out loud that we need some support, uh, that we like to go on with it. And it, I think we were quite successful in that sense. So we got the money together for the, 2020 and I think 2021 uh, looks good as well that we can cover all the costs uh, and we could even increase just uh, this month uh, back we we, uh, we extended for another hectare uh, connection forest what we just planted replanted and and with all this food project we we trying to support this as well from our side. So mm -hmm. the whole idea is to be as sustainable as possible, actually. Sounds very interesting. So uh, as a quick summary, uh, you, um, I mean, how, how long are you in, in, in Borneo right now? Since how many years? Uh, we came here in 2011. 11. So you're uh, since 10 years there. And when you started with the bikes and tours? Bike and tour started right away after the uh, tour in, in Africa. We came back. 2011 then, 12. Yeah, end of two, 2011, start of 2012. So let's 12. say it oh, like okay. that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So you did, actually, you um, you are the founder of uh, Bike and Tours in 2012, there in uh, Ma Malaysia, right? Borneo. And, mm -hmm. and you do tours in, in the local area. That's correct? Also, we do tours in whole Malaysia, yeah. but mainly mainly in Sabah. And yeah. we do not only bike tours, so we do everything like trekking, hiking, river cruises, mountaineering, all the things uh, we organize. So uh, I understand. So since one year, it was not possible anymore uh, because of COVID and you had to find out uh, what is next? Well, another solution of, of income. You have a family there and, uh, uh, and you have different projects, right? Yes. I mean, I have two kids. 
family with two kids. Uh, Olivia is six years and Emily is four years. Uh, Olivia started school in January when the school is open. Uh, but basically she started. Uh, yeah, and we, we in la March last year, we needed to find, find out how we could, uh, could survive. Yeah, yeah. Do you know uh, uh, B1G1? Sorry, what is it? B1G1. You need to check this one. So, uh, I, I just uh, I started to be a member. Uh, I think it's a buy one, give one. Uh, and okay. it's a, a website uh, and founded in Singapore. And I know someone who is very active here in the UK, Steve Pipe. Uh, very active to promote this platform and you can for for some sense you can uh, support different projects around the world and you can go okay. to like sustainability um, uh, transportation humanitarian uh, I, i'm not sure red cross all, all different projects and you can go there just for a few uh, uh, pennies you can actually support with your credit card uh, such a project and maybe you could have a talk with them that uh, they would support you you can check later and i will send you the link yeah okay great thank you so uh what is actually you did this almost 10 years these uh, tours with bike and tours as a founder and you were the tour guide there what is the most fascinating part when you organize these adventurous tours i mean you need to see is the, is the voice okay? I can hear myself yeah, yeah. double. Yeah. Okay. Um, Saba, Borneo is a fascinating area. I mean, here we are, you find the, the oldest rainforests in the world. Amazing wildlife. Amazing nature. You can find really remote areas who are very, very wild. And I mean, I remember the first time we went in, what was this, maybe before I went to Africa in 2010, I visited with Tisha together the Kinabatangan River. And it was the first uh, trip we did together. It was first, absolutely fascinating. You were there on the river and you saw proboscis monkeys, you saw orangutans, you saw hornbills, you saw all kinds of animals. And I was so excited to see all that. And after my, our trip to, to, to Africa, I, I thought, what could we do? And, and I like to do something together with the bicycle because I found the bicycle is a very nice uh, mode of tra transportation you can go steady and you can look around and it's just fascinating this is one thing and then we thought where where, where we would like to do do it and then it was quite quick clear for both of us uh let's do that in borneo i mean tisha is not from here she is from kale itself so she is a city girl she has nothing to do with mm -hmm. i mean probably the first time with me Together, she went into rainforest and got the first leeches. So <laughs> it was quite interesting to see. But she got used to it. Uh, but it was quite fast, clear. Okay, let's do that in Borneo. So we went together to Borneo and we rented both. Uh, she rented a, cycle, a bicycle. I had my bike. So we cycled around trying to find in a tour what we could uh, promote. And 
it was not that easy as we thought. Um, we, we ended up in La Hattata because her father is, is working here. So he said, okay, stay here first. And then we worked, uh, tried hard to, to develop this, uh, this business, created the business, get all the license together, whatever you need, get the products, get to know it. And of course, in the first few months, first year, maybe nobody liked to buy our tour. Mm. So we had to find uh, other things. I mean, we needed to go to Dunham Valley. We needed to go there. So finally, um, we, we developed our small apartment that we had at, at that time there. Uh, we, we had two rooms uh, uh, left. So we, did, uh, we changed it to, to a bed and breakfast. So we called mm. it by, uh, Bike and Tours BMP. And suddenly people started to come to our BMP. And when they were in our BMP, they took our uh, small tours. And, and uh, like this, it, 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 it started to, to develop. I mean, this place here, it's not a mass tourism place. I mean, if you get once a day a plane with a little bit, with some of, of, some of the tourists in there, it's already a lot. So it's... I mean, it was in the beginning quite tough, I would say. But we worked on it. We did it. We we could grow a bit. We, we could hire some people. Um, uh, slow but steady, I would say. So we could see you uh, mostly twice, three times at the airport there to collect uh, tourists. <laughs> yeah, something like this. I mean. Usually people don't just come by chance here. I mean, they do already uh, their research before and, and mm -hmm. uh, you need to take this, uh, the, the guests before. Okay, yeah. I, I mean, hardly is, is a walk in here or something. It, it happens, but it's not usually. Usually they, may, they plan their trip to La Harta to when they're staying mm -hmm. in, in Switzerland or the UK or wherever. And then we know that they come. And I think this is for, for, for almost everybody who comes here. The case and you do special marketing in different countries more european countries or how is your marketing then as i mean we target the western western uh, yeah. world mm -hmm. um, mostly as it goes from the australians to the europeans americans um, okay yeah yeah do this yeah that's great yeah so what is the right now the biggest challenge you have uh, you said you have uh, started with the food business, with the uh, chili uh, growing, <laughs> uh, planting food, uh, bike and uh, tours is maybe a little bit down, bed and breakfast, I guess, as well. Um, what, what, is, what is next then with uh, your business where you can grow? I think for the listener, it might be a little bit confusing what I said, all oh, from chili planting to <laughs> all these kind of things. I mean, the tourism business at the moment is down mm -hmm. and it will be down for the next few months for sure. I mean, um, I don't know if they're going to open this year. I don't know. I hope so. But yeah, we have to focus on other things. So... I mean, we prepared, we are prepared for people when they are coming. I mean, mm -hmm. our bed and breakfast is ready. Now, new, we have a known 
uh, own little hut in the Puki Piton. This is where we make the tree planting. Mm-hmm. Uh, there we, 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 we have a hut with, with, with uh, some beds and where we could uh, do the trips to this place to see, the, go and see the orangutans and the wildlife, yeah. go and see the, the rivers there and stay in the wild. Um, I just installed the solar system there last week. Uh, so we are ready for that. Okay. Um, I hope the tourists come soon that we can show. This is also a project that's a combination between bike and tours and the Bookie Pizza project because everybody who goes on the tour there donates automatically to the Bookie Pizza project as well. Mm-hmm. And we have another project there as a, we we pre-planted already 6.5 hectares what actually needs to be paid by visitors of these tours. So, I mean, I hope <laughs> lots of visitors come and support us there. Uh, we didn't wait. Nor, usually, in the last few years, we waited for the tourists that they come and plant their own trees. They still go and plant their tree, but that we can... Um, push this a little bit forward, we already planted the trees. So, and we hope that this project goes well, so we can really uh, finance that as well. So there is the combination between the Bike and Tours travel company with the foundation. So the Bike and Tours uh, company still tries to support the the, Mm -hmm. the foundation from that side. In the meantime, to the question, what we're going to do now is we're still going to cook. I, as a VDV, opened the shop. uh, We call uh, to support this uh, uh, Bukit Piton project. But we're trying to sell products from here in Switzerland, mainly, Mm -hmm. or Europe. Uh, There we have made our own Moringa tea different kinds with lemongrass, with poopy flour, with mm. uh, ginger. Then we created our sambal uh, and we will come up with some more products that's here. And with these products, we're trying to support Bukit Piton uh, project as well. Okay. Uh, yeah, this is what we are trying to do at the moment. So keep these things alive. If we yeah. Don't, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, sounds good. I hope that it will go better soon uh, and <laughs> that, that the travel market uh, opens uh, and also for the benefit uh, for people going uh, or coming to, to, to Borneo. Yeah. So uh, actually in, in 2010, you had this crazy idea with your brother. <laughs> you decided to travel with your bike from Switzerland to South Africa together with your brother, Philip, right, Philip? Um, uh, correct. Yeah. Can you tell us what was your inspiration for this crazy challenge and how have you prepared for this one year trip? <laughs> uh, it's a good question. I mean, I, I worked for a while in the same place. My private situation gave me, uh, as I was free, I, was, I had lots of space, it was all set. In 2000, it was 2009, I think. I went to the Kröntenhütte in Kanten Uri, up in the mountains. I had a bottle of wine and I took a small ratio with uh, raclette cheese. 
I hiked up there and the night I, I went further up um, in, on this mountain, I was sitting on a, on a rock and trying to reflect and say, I had this idea of cycling through Africa, but I, I went there to think, is it really, you really want to do that? So I had my bottle of wine, my cheese there alone, it was full moon, it was fantastic. I ask myself the question, down here is the street who is going over the Gotthard. Do you really like to do that with all the luggage cycling over the Gotthard and going to Africa? I mean, I was not a cyclist. I was not really very sportive as well. Not, not so special. So you really want to do that? And then the night I decided, yes, I'm going to do it. <laughs> so, Okay. I came down from the mountain and decided we'd, I'd do it. I told my brother, oh, God. <laughs> uh, uh, Matthias couldn't go because he had families and kids and all. And I told Philippe, hey, you'd like to join? He said, yeah, it's a good idea. Maybe I come too. Uh, he's always maybe. It was a long time maybe. I said, okay. I like to go first in, in, in 2010 in April. So on my birthday, I like to leave. But then I saw my financial thing was not so great. So, okay, I give another half year. So I decided to go in September. Yeah, what were you working at that time? I was working on the BHMS in, uh, in Lucerne. Ah, okay, yeah. Hospitality. Exactly, yeah. Um, and then, yeah, I started to prepare. I had a friend. Uh, his name was Alex. His name is Alex. He, he did a lot of this kind uh, of, of uh, trips. I mean, his website is centralbikers.ch, something like that. They do all kinds. Of, they're very well prepared, fantastic organizers. And he could give me lots of advice. What kind of bike I need to buy, what kind of material and all these kind of things. So we got through. Uh, all of it, and he really helped me a lot in that sense. And then, I mean, I was sitting at home at the Africa map in front of me, and, and, and I chose, okay, this would be good, this would be good, this could be a little bit, okay, this, this direction. I, I, and then, I mean, after the, the bike, everything was, was, was done, we just decided to go. Uh, my father joined me. We cycled together on the Sarnese Lake, Alpnach Lake, down uh, to, to the Vierwaldstättersee, crossed it, went up to Andermatt, and Andermatt, I had cramps all over. <laughs> you know, my legs was cramping, everything was cramping. My father was so super fit, he, he had no problem. Next day, he cycled up on the Gotthard. He cycled there like a little mountain goat up. I behind there, almost collapsed. I, I was so far behind. Finally, I reached the bus and he met some other cyclists there and he was very proud telling, oh, my son going to Africa with the bike. I said, hey, please just shut up. Don't say anything, you know. I don't know if I even can reach the border. You know? <laughs> so, <laughs> I was so, cool. so, so finished already. And then we had the nice down from the Gotthard down to the Tessin, Ticino, Italy. I mean, 
it was the first few weeks, it was just very tough for me. Mm -hmm. I mean, my father was very fit. He had no problems. I, I, I suffered. And then after two weeks time, I think, in Marseille, around that, he, he went back. Mm -hmm. And then suddenly I was alone. And this was another issue. I mean, suddenly you, before you had a body, somebody was there. I mean, if on the bike you're alone, you don't really speak much, but at least somebody was there. Suddenly nobody was there anymore. And I had to learn camping in the wild somewhere, look in the field where I can camp, camping place or not camping place. It was all a bit interesting, but I got used to it and I really enjoyed it as well. And then suddenly Philip uh, agreed to come. So I went to Spain, then I made a tour to Lisb Lisbon, came back to Spain, and he joined me. Philip came, finally. It was fantastic. But it was also a challenge because suddenly we were two again. Before I was just alone, I could stop, I could go, I could what, do whatever. I was so free. And then he came. And then we had to adjust to each other, and it was a, it was a fantastic. I mean, when we when we took the ferry from uh, Malaga to Melilla, and the sunset on the ferry, and knew that we when when the ferry stops, that we will be actually on the continent in Africa. It was such an amazing uh, feeling. It was really, really nice. And I was also very, very happy my brother could join mm -hmm. at that time. It's amazing. Wow. And you have been challenged uh, from this trip, not, at, not only at the beginning, but how can we understand? Was this more physically, uh, like you went up the Gotthard uh, mountain, or mentally, or both? I mean... Uh, as of the first physically, physically, I mean, I had to get fit. I had to get used to this saddle. Uh, I mean, the saddle was hard, painful, uh, lots of luggage. First, I had uh, to get used to that. And of course, my father was there, so I was not really alone. So it was, uh, at least this was not. After, when you, when you were alone, you had to, you had other challenges. I mean, you don't really have somebody to speak to. So after a month or so, you start to speak to yourself. <laughs> mm -hmm. Packed in a raincoat when it was raining and maybe some music or so, but then you start to speak to yourself. And this was, on the beginning, interesting, an interesting experience. Um, and then the fact that you need to keep going. I mean, you cannot really stop. I mean, you have a goal. You, have, you need to go... You, you set your goal that it's Kapagulas uh, in, in, in South Africa, the most southern point. This is your goal, and you're not even reached the continent yet, so you need to keep going. And this is sometimes was very easy, and sometimes was, of course, you, you ask yourself, <laughs> you do really the right thing. Um, mm -hmm. Is it worth to do? Is it really okay? Should we? And then, of course, before we I mean, with all these things in mind, but you heard about Africa and, and all these uh, uh, scary stories, how, uh, you know, I mean, you, you think about it and you get maybe a little bit worried. So, okay, what I'm doing if I reach Morocco? Okay, Morocco is quite 
close to Europe, so it can't be that bad. But, you know, you never know. I mean, you have all these negative inputs, negative informations, and suddenly you are there, then you need to say, hey, this is nothing what people talk. This is just so wonderful. People are so friendly, so, so, so welcoming, so beautiful, you know? It's nothing what they say at home, and it's not far. I mean, it's a, uh, Europe and, and, and Morocco, for example, is a few hundred kilometers apart. I mean, it's, it's, it's not much. It's such a different in culture and, and everything. And I felt that people had a certain, were scared about all this country. And it was mm -hmm. just amazing to experience. It was just so, so great. And as further down we came, I mean, Morocco is a fantastic place to go. And we went in a time, okay, it was, it was December, January, so there were not much tourists. It was a bit cold, all that. But it was impressive. And it was nice. And the, then the challenge, for me, it was fine. Mm -hmm. On that point, I was uh, fitter than Philip because I had already training for a few months. So Philip just came, so I was uh, better than him. I think for the first time in my life, I was faster than him for a while. <laughs> <laughs> after he catch up and he was uh, again stronger than me and I had to run after him. But I enjoyed the fact that uh, I was a little bit stronger for a short while. And of course, in, in all this trip, and you go further down, I mean, you stay, suddenly you stay in the middle of, of, of this continent and you have just desert. Maybe you have a sunstorm or you have uh, 50 degrees Celsius. Uh, Philip just called me yesterday and said, hey, one year ago we were in, uh, 10 years ago we were in Mali. And now I'm checking the temperature, what they have there, you know. 44, not so hot. We had more. We had around 50 degrees when we were there, you know. <laughs> and, I mean, this is so hot that you, that you better cycle than make a break because the break this is it's too hot to stay. You're not even under a tree. It's not nice. But at least on the, on the cycle, you have a little wind going. And I remember this period in Mali. You had everywhere you had the, the mango trees, mango, mango, mango fruits all over the place. So I don't know how many kilos mango we ate. You know, I mean, it's fantastic. Um, and yes, of course, you saw, when you're together, if, even if you're brother, I mean, you're so close to each other every day, every day again, you go up, you do your thing, then you, you make your camp and, and you sleep and every, I mean, it's like a routine, it's, it's like a job, you, you, you wake up in the morning, you go for your job, you come back in the evening, but you're very close to somebody, and this was uh, Philip. Uh, and of course there are fr frictions too and when you're on the limits and the physical limits as well uh, gets even you can fight about something what you, I mean I don't re remember I think any reason why we find fight it, but we had good fights you know Mm -hmm. I mean, Lonely Planets was sometimes flying through the air on the marketplace somewhere in an African village that the locals don't know what this 
white people are doing. <laughs> yeah. And the Lonely Planet just burst in two because somebody of us was angry at the other one. I mean, of course, this is a challenge. What you what you what you need to 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 look at, and then you, that you that you get yourself together again and to, to discuss, to make friends again, to, to to go on because you're still in the middle of a continent. You still have to go a lot, and to go back by plane was no way. Mm. It was not 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 a solution, or to go in a train or in a bus. It was not a solution either. So we had to cycle for both of us. And physically, mentally, I don't know. I mean, it gets like a normal job. You know, you, 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 you don't really think anymore about, uh, yeah, if you go work, you don't, it's, it's normal. The daily routine is normal. It's, it doesn't, even when you have, uh, when we pass countries, you may be a bit dangerous or, or maybe the, have had some problems uh, uh, you don't see them you don't know you just do no you just cycle you just go and i don't think it's an extreme challenge i mean of course it can be a bit challenging but it's not very extreme i think mm -hmm. because you don't see the whole picture you just see the daily thing and this is important at the moment you 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 go on your bike, you cycle, and that you need to do, and in the evening you need to make your camp, that's all. <laughs> it sounds easy, but it wasn't. Yeah, it is easy. When you're into it, it's easy. Mm. Because when you think, okay, now I go, then is it difficult. But when you're into it, and, and you do it every day anyways, and it's, it's a normal thing. Yeah, what was the the worst situation you had to handle or you experienced with your brother on this tour? I mean, the, the worst situation, let's say it from, I mean, that was the accident I had in Mauritania. Mm -hmm. I mean, I remember this more, at this time we, we crossed the Western Sahara and it was windy. We had a lot of sandstorms and it was quite tough mm -hmm. uh, to go. I mean, when the wind came from the back, it was fantastic. You didn't have to pedal, but if the wind came from the front, it was just terrible. Yeah. But we had fantastic moments. I mean, the, 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 the weather was like that, that sometimes a little rain came in the desert. And next morning, the whole desert was red with little flowers. I mean, this was amazing. It was really, really nice. So you put your tents in a, in a bed of flower, flowers. It was just amazing. And then when we crossed the west, uh, the Western Sahara to, the, to Mauritania, I mean, this was the most interesting border I crossed. It was so dusty. It was a sunstorm. There was a, a, a no man's land. There was a car staying there. Uh, tires show and then was the sign board that there might be mines around that you shouldn't step too much <laughs> anywhere so it was quite scary and suddenly out of the nowhere some uh, herd of camels came out 
I never forget this this border crossing. It was just just so surreal. It was just crazy. But we went over to Mauritania. We stayed a few days in a in a village there in a, in a city. Then we continued, and we stayed one night. And next morning we we early we went early, and it was very windy again. And Philip and me uh, switched giving the wind shadow, once me, once him, once me, once him. And it was my turn giving. And I was a little bit more in the road on the left-hand side. Mm. And Philip had the wind shadow a little bit more behind me on the right. And there came a truck, as a pickup truck. The police said we were about 100 speed. And he, he just crashed me from behind. Oh, yeah. uh, I mean, I don't really remember much from that incident. Uh, I pity Philip because he was there and didn't really know. I mean, out of my face, out of my mouth, everywhere came blood. Mm. And, and he was, he didn't know what to do. Mm. Do he say, should he say now bye-bye? Or should he hurry up to bring me to hospital? He was just asking himself the question. I mean, I, I pity him. I mean, it was in the nowhere. It was just sand. Mm. And there was for, I would say, maybe 200 kilometers, the next city, wow. you know, quite far. So he managed to bring me to uh, on, a, on a pickup. They brought me back to the city in the hospital. And yeah. Uh, they, they flew me back to Switzerland and I just actually realized, I mean, I have certain memories in between, but not much. But I, I, when, I, when I realized that I'm back in Lucerne in the hospital, and Letitia came and visited me and I said, so, hey, what are you doing here? <laughs> you know, I, really, I didn't really know what happened. Yeah. But I told Philip, listen, he had, he had the opportunity to come as well back to Switzerland. I said, hey, you stay here. I come soon again because mm. I knew when he goes in this plane, he comes back with me to Switzerland. We never will finish the thing. Yeah, that's right. So I asked him to stay. So I left him in Mauritania. He went back to the hospital. They fixed me, whatever. I was lucky. I didn't have anything with the brain, some broken ribs and some other mm. stuff. My eye was looking, my eyes were, were crossed for a while, but it was all good. Few weeks later, I went back to Senegal. I met him in Senegal back, mm -hmm. <laughs> and uh, I mean, for me, it was important because this tour was not finished. Mm -hmm. I had to finish it. Of course, I missed a little bit between Mauritania and Senegal, um, but this is the only thing actually we took a public transportation. Let's call it that way. So I met him in Senegal. He was a few weeks in Senegal in that time. He uh, he had an, uh, uh, supported a permaculture uh, project from a, from a guy there in the, in the Sahel zone mm. uh, to, to reforest uh, or to, 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 to get this area green again. And this was the first project actually we supported uh, from the money we got on the way. Mm. Uh, he had time there to he sp spend some time there and it was very nice to see all that. Uh, when I went uh, to him, I stayed also, I think maybe a week, stayed together there before we, 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 we went 
on cycling. But Senegal was a fantastic place too. I think this was one of the the worst uh, things. Yeah. Yeah, sad to hear, but uh, it's amazing that you continued and you had this uh, energy and the, the power and actually in your brain, your mindset go again, continue your project. That's really the amazing thing, right? Yeah, I mean, the, the good thing and all, I was not, I was very lucky, not much happened to me. I mean, could have been much, much worse. Mm. Um, and that's why, yeah, I, I just wanted to finish that. It was important to me. Mm. And to Philip too, I think, otherwise he wouldn't have done it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Obviously, no. Yeah. So, yeah, Simon, what, what is your best advice to someone who wants to start such a similar project like your bike tour through Africa? What are the most important things to be aware of? There's actually only one thing. What is important? And this is what I told you earlier. This was the time when I was in this Grenton, mm -hmm. sitting, going in myself somehow, asking myself, do I really want to do it? And the decision, mm -hmm. this decision to give to yourself a, cl a clear yes, I'm going. This is the mm. most important and the most difficult step. Because mm. at that moment, if you decide to go, mm. you actually, you're gone. You're, you're good. You can go. Mm. Everything else is coming in place as it has to. I mean, you don't need to think, okay, I need to have a hotel here. Or I need to take the road here. Or what should I do? What should I do? You know, this is all questions that but comes on the t when the time is ready for it. Mm. And this is not so important. If you go a little bit more left or right, it's not important. I mean, mm. you, you set your goal, you, you, there you like to go more or less, and, and then you go. The decision, the point, okay, I go. I give up my apartment, I sell my things, I, 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 or I give my things away, I, I, I quit my job, I, I, all these kind of things will just happen. Mm. But this step from, yes, I go, this is the most difficult thing, I think, to do. Uh, much more difficult than everything else that will follow. Mm. Because I think, I believe many people would tell me, oh, I also like to do so, these kind of things. And they have lots of barriers to make mm. this decision. Yes, I go. I mean, yes, you don't have an apartment anymore. You don't have a car anymore. You, you don't know what's tomorrow. You don't know where you stay overnight tomorrow. You don't know who you meet tomorrow. I, you, do, you know nothing. Every day is different. Mm. Of course. And you leave all that what you were used to. You leave your job. You go in the morning. You come back in the evening. You have an apartment. You know what's in the radio. You know when it's dog show. You know everything. <laughs> On the tour, you don't know. And this decision to leave everything back is a bit, uh, bit tricky, I would say, a bit uh, difficult. But all the rest, but when, when you really decide to go, it's easy. You just go, you plan, you go and you see. And you improvise. Yeah. 
Yeah, a big learning point, actually. Yeah, the, the one decision, the, the most important. I, I agree. It's, if you stay or you go and you have to go into yourself. Yeah. I mean, if you think too much, what could happen if I go? You never go. I mean, you're not even supposed to ask you this question because if you ask you this question, what might happen? You won't go. Mm. So don't ask this question. Do I go? Yes or no? If you say <laughs> yes, you just go. You never question the things. Mm. Because, I mean, on the tour, we had so many moments, but never really for us, but you never could have imagined that that even could happen. Mm. But it happened. But when you're there, you, you see what you can do. But if you would have imagined that, that, that you would have nights when, when, when military revolts and you have all shootings around your place. And you know, if you know this in advance, you never would go. Yeah, but if you're in there, you see what you can do in the moment. And then you think, how, can I, how fast I can go out of here? What's the quickest way? What's the solution? You do it and you go. I have to say, oh, it was quite intense, right? But never ask you too much question before. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So back to Borneo. I mean, from this tour uh, through Africa, you created the nonprofit organization Brothers Cycling. Can you tell us more about this idea, a little bit specific now? What is your current project? And um, maybe people, they, they would support your project. Can you tell us about the Brother Cycling Week? Yeah, we focus at the moment for Bukit Piton. Bukit Piton is a place who was uh, uh, quite destroyed, so maybe 20 to 30 years ago. Mm -hmm. So they made a lot of logging there. They raped the whole place. Uh, it, uh, yeah. Then there were some companies who came in, like WWF and some big ones who, who tried to reforest uh, this place as well. In this place, we have lots of orangutans, even if the forest is actually not so great. There's a lots of orangutans and lots of wildlife. I mean, it's amazing. If you go there on day trip or even night trip, it's just fantastic what you can see. So... In my opinion, when they, 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 for, they reforested the place, a lot of projects didn't really work out so well because people come in big scales. People think, okay, we're going and planting one million tree, half a million tree, or so and so many hectares we do. But this is very delicate. Bukit Piton, I mean, here in our area, almost everything grows and it grows fast. True. But also the creepers, for example, grows very fast. So if you put the tree in the earth, then if you don't take care of that one, who, that it can grow to a certain height, it will die because the creepers will surround the one. It cannot breathe, will die earlier or later. When we, when we saw Pukipito the first time, I mean, we saw all the amazing things that's in there. We saw all the amazing things that was already done. But we saw all the things that needs to be 
still needs to be done or maybe redone. Then we thought, what can we do? How can we do that this is not going to happen with that what we promised to the people? So we had a little bit money left from the foundation, what were recycled. I mean, people gave us 10 cents per kilometer, 50 cents or whatever. And there was some still some money left because I didn't really like to throw it around. I like to have a proper project that we could look at. So this was the point when we came across it. So we could start with a little piece of land. But we said, okay, we reforest this land on a, a time frame of five years. Mm-hmm. So we don't just plant and wait one year and then finish project, next one. We say, okay, we take care of five years minimum. Mm-hmm. And this we're doing since then. I mean, we started with a small one. Now we have several hectares coming across. We are slow. We are not increasing so fast mm-hmm. because of this. Because we want to have these trees grown. When the trees are up and they have a kind of canopy and the, the creepers are much smaller, uh, not so fast growing, then the forest can start to regulate themselves. Mm-hmm. But till then, we need to take care. So we need every three months we go in there. We cut off the creepers. We make place for them. We make sure that the, the trees survive. Then we have the wildlife who sometimes destroys our trees. So we need to replace these trees. Um, and so on. And this is what we're doing with the trees. And these trees is, is planted, I mean, mainly also for the orangutans that they have more food, more shelter, more place to be. I mean, if we do it for the orangutans, we also do it for lots of wildcats, hornbills, storm storks, uh, lorries, slow lorries, vestentas, all these kind of things. We're there too. Um, and it's, uh, it's amazing to see how, how actually the orangutans, even on the trees who are growing up already, we can find orangutans in our trees sometimes. Mm-hmm. And this is fantastic. This is fantastic. And sometimes the elephants come in. It's fantastic to see. Not so nice for the trees, but uh, yeah. I, I mean, for me, Spooky Piton a very, very, got a very, very important project because I think we can do there something. I mean, yes, we never have the same situation what we have had 200 years ago. It's a secondary forest. It's not mm-hmm. a primary forest. Yeah. Uh, uh, but you can see and you can get the experience how this forest grows back, mm-hmm. how the animal comes back, if you take care a little bit. But it's a lot of work. It's really you need to take mm-hmm. care of it because the people who took out the money, they left already there. They took the money and the, and the trees and they're nowhere, nowhere seen. Mm-hmm. It's the human being probably. But the good thing is this area is uh, under first class reserve and it's fully protected mm-hmm. and this motivates us to to really to to take care of this area to plant as much we can to find more donors to find more people who help us up, uh, reforest this place that we get in the 10 20 years time that we have there a beautiful forest 
a healthy forest. This is this is the thing, the, the idea, the, the goal, the hope we have. Mm-hmm. It's a long-term goal, but uh, yeah, you will achieve it. I mean, every day uh, you work on this, right? And you say every three months you go to see the trees. Every three months we go in and cut it off and, 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 and mm-hmm. make the, free the trees and see yeah. what, uh, what's still alive. Uh, and every day, actually, with our cooking, we're trying to get some money as well to donate there, to, to, pay, to pay the people who helps us to, to, to replant all these things, all these trees. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's actually got already to be a daily business, actually. I mean, yeah. as a daily business in the sense of it, it got really close. I mean, uh, to, I have a nursery with trees, what we're planting there. Uh, you know, I never thought that uh, I, I would have that, that my time gets in reforesting one time, so intense, mm. but it, it got. And, and I'm really, really hope we can continue with that project and we really can make a change there yeah. as well and save this area. I mean, for me, it was also important, you know, I mean, yes, it's first class reserve, it's completely reserved, but it's surrounded by the oil palm plantation. My fear in the beginning was, you know, these rich people can come and say, hey, this area here, you see, this forest is completely destroyed. What do you like here? There is nothing what you can take out, you know, there is no benefit. So mm-hmm. better convert it to oil palm, you know, and and I just thought about this and say, hey, this is not going to happen. But we need to do something. Yeah. I mean, we need to we need to take action, even in small small scales, to show the people, hey, there are people who are trying to change here something and protect the orangutans who are already here. Yeah. So and that we have arguments to tell them, hey, listen, this is not this area is protected. You don't even need to think about that you can come in here with any oil palm and rich people mm-hmm. and whatever, you know. But I mean, the, the, the status of the of the of, of the area is first class and it's not touchable. So it's safe. Mm-hmm. But this motivated me too to show the people, hey, there is something on. This is not lost and this is not forgotten, forgotten. Yeah. So there are people who think about this area. Were interested in the, that area to make it nice again. Mm. How can we understand this? Uh, uh, the, the land is is this uh, land of the government, or you you uh, bought this land, uh, this forest, or how? No, no, this is a government land. Okay, yeah. So this is uh, uh, from the government. They they protected this area, mm-hmm. uh, and of course, uh, the, yeah. They, they are depending a little bit on, on people from outside who, 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 who finance yeah. uh, all these things. Why it's it's not cheap. I mean, oh, okay. it costs money. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, every three months you need to go in, and you need people, you need material. You need, it's, mm-hmm. it's not it's not a, a cheap thing. I mean, sometimes when when people collect money, okay, you can one franc and you can donate for one tree. Yeah, this is maybe the tree, but this is not the work behind. It's a yeah, lot okay. and lots of work. 
Um, and that's why I think I'm happy to, to support in that sense the government as well. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, it would be great if the government could do that themselves, but uh, mm-hmm. uh, we better help. We are happy to help. Yeah, fantastic cooperation. Yeah. yeah. And they're, sup- they're very supportive. I mean, they are really... Okay. They're helping us whenever they can. They make the, the, the evaluation. They come and yeah. check what we do. They mm-hmm. they write down the things. So they are very, very helpful. Okay. We really, really like to work with the forestry together. Yeah. Good to hear. Yeah. Uh, from uh, trees to property, as I'm a property investor, what is your <laughs> dream home, Simon? <laughs> <laughs> my, my, my dream home. <sighs> I don't know. My dream home. As you ask me where or how it should look? Everything. Where <laughs> and how, the environment, uh, how it looks. You lived in a tent uh, in Africa, under stones or you know? <laughs> yeah, trees. And now your dream home. My dream home. I think if I could have a home somewhere in the mountains or near to a lake with some garden would be fantastic. (laughs) Okay. I think I need to be connected to the nature. I mean, I like to have Mm. lake or river. I think it would be good. I I like to live in Horb. Mm. I was living in Horb for a while on the lake, near the lake. Lake of Lucerne, Uh, yeah. Yeah, fantastic. Fantastic. Okay. Or I could also go somewhere in the mountains. Would be also nice. This is what I miss here. I mean, we don't really have mountains here. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So a little bit cooler temperatures. Yeah. Mountains. Nice. I cannot really, I never really asked myself how my dream house would look like. Mm-hmm. A big garden, big terrace, nice trees, flowers. Good. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Yeah. As long as you're happy with it. Yeah. And uh, Simon, where and how can uh, our listeners connect with you and how can they support your projects? Uh, they, I mean, they will find the website below the description. Yeah. Um, but also, I mean, on our Brothers Cycling homepage. There, there are lots of informations. Yeah. Um, they can support us with the shop. They can buy things from the shop, mm-hmm. uh, the, from the online shop. Um, they can approach us directly. Um, I mean, are you on have, Instagram, right? Instagram, Facebook? Facebook, okay. Instagram, as a, yeah, Facebook, may have, we have a website. All this. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, if there is somebody in- interested to support our project, uh, we are very happy. Of course. Yeah. Or even just being a member would be great as well. Yeah. Exactly. That sounds great. Yeah. Hey, Simon. Uh, thank you so much. It was uh, so much new information. Very inspirational. How you managed this Africa tour with your brother going back and forth, and now you have this project in in Borneo. Thank you so much for 
all this information for your time. Yeah. Have a good Thank week. Thank you, Kurt. I wish you also a nice week. And yeah, it was nice to meet you again. Again, many thanks for this interesting talk with you and for your time. Thanks a lot.